0: So if you're just joining us, as you can kind of see from the video, uh, over the course of the summer, we've been taking Ephesians chapter or Galatians chapter 5 and and taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lays before us. And yeah, we we recognize the fruit of the Spirit is, is singular. It's, it's not like it's not fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So it's kind of like a, a package deal. And so when you trust Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and dwells in you and all of these are present in you because you are now in Christ, And so what we're, we're trying to do over the course of summer is taking one aspect, one facet of the fruit and just spend some time with it. And we're doing that by looking at um, uh, different episodes in the life of Jesus. So we may look at like a teaching and when he talks about a possible fruit there, or uh, we'll look at kind of like an episode in the life of Jesus where we see these uh, put on display. And so today we're talking about... Uh, And so we're just going to take a look at a, a very powerful and important episode in the life of Jesus here. So if you've got your Bibles, if you don't, you can look in the bulletin as well as on the screen. I ask you to stand with me if you're able as we read the Word of God. So Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 32. So hear the Word of the Lord. And they, talking about Jesus and the disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter and James and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, The hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. And Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not just keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy and they didn't know what to say to him. And returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come, look, the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray that you would use your word um, like a mirror, as James talks about, Lord, and help us to look in this mirror and and be willing to face what is really there and and not try to deny or dismiss or or qualify, knowing that you're not put off by brokenness, Lord. You're not put off by sin. You're not put off by damaged goods, so to speak. But, Lord, your arms are open wide, and, and you receive us, Lord, as we are. So help us, God. We need your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as most of you know, I, I spent almost uh, 20 years working in student ministry. I, I loved it. Spent about 15 years at a local church here in LaGrange, Kentucky. And, and one of the one of the joys of being in the same place for almost 20, 22 years and kind of growing up in this area, especially in student ministry is you have an opportunity to do a lot of weddings, right like your, your students grow up and they, they want you to do your wedding. and there's a few of you that are in here that I've done their your wedding and you were a part of my student ministry, which is just a, a real joy. It's kind of like what John says there in one of his little books. It gives me great joy when you see your children, people that you've helped lead to Christ, see them walking with the Lord, and have the opportunity to marry them, and all that kind of good stuff. So, but one of the things with um, with weddings, I do some premarital counseling, and you always kind of get to talking about the vows. And usually, you can tell when a young couple may have you know watched way too many uh, love movies and dramas, and uh, because they. Um, they want to write their vows, all right. And so, if you've written your vows, please don't take this as an insult. I think it's wonderful, all right. It's wonderful, great. Some of your, I'm sure your vows are amazing, all right. So, but usually when they when they say that, they're, they're, I get a little like concerned. There's usually like a little red flag that comes in there, and I'm like not against it, just, just a little concerned because usually when I've read vows that they've written, they're 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 always kind of um, a little over the top, a a little unrealistic, and so here. This is not a real example. This is kind of a made-up example, but it's kind of in the similar vein of this. So here's what they kind of sound like. Babe. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Thank you for laughing. That's awesome. I vow to passionately love you like a California wildfire every day. I vow to rub your feet every night and serve you endlessly with a love deeper than the oceans. I will sing you to sleep and bring you fresh-squeezed mango juice Every morning, from this moment on, everything I do will be for you, babe, right? And if you're like me, you say, ah, give it a week, right? (laughs) Maybe not even that long, right? That's probably being really generous. Oh, there's just something about our culture and and within all of us that we kind of had this draw to what is dramatic and extravagant and sort of over the top. And, and maybe I'm just a little old-fashioned when it comes to weddings, but I do like kind of the traditional historical vows, and I usually try to steer couples in that direction. And, and so just, just kind of listen to these. I mean, there's nothing sexy about them, but there's something like weighty about these vows. I take you to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, And sickness, and in health, to love and cherish till death do us part. This is kind of like like an everyday love, isn't it? This is kind of like a come what may kind of love that no matter what will happen over the course for life, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. It's not real sexy, right? May not be a lot of songs that are, written about this so to speak but it's a there's an extraordinariness there's a staggeringness of this when this kind of vow is lived out over the course of a lifetime and the Bible calls this kind of love faithfulness 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 is being trustworthy it's being dependable it's being firm in your resolve, it's it's showing up, it's being there, it's being loyal, it's being dependable. And this is, you know, something that happens over the course of a long period of time. And and faithfulness in essence is costly. That's why we don't go to a couple that's been married for six months and say, man, you've been faithful, right? I mean you can encourage them and say, man, good job, good work here, but Faithfulness is not there yet because faithfulness is put on display over the course of a long period of time. So that's why you go to a couple that's been at it for 30, 40, 50 years and say, wow, that's that's a couple that's been faithful because that's been costly. That's been hard. That's been difficult. One of the foundational attributes and characteristics of God that we've celebrated this morning is his faithfulness. Without God being faithful there's no way for us to even have a relationship with him, a relationship of trust, but God is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is dependable. He is steadfast. He is the rock. And some can argue and, and make a, a, a plea, which I would fully agree is that the Bible in and of itself is sort of a witness, a testimony to the faithfulness of God. Over and over, you see God being faithful, and it's a theme that we see over and over in the Psalms. And so what I, what I want to do this morning, yeah, we, you know, we could take like a a, a a huge survey of all the Bible and show you all the faithfulness of God throughout the entire Scripture, and that's, we could do that. But I, I, what I want to do this morning is I just want to take an episode of the life of Jesus, all right, that I that I think has a reflection upon the whole. So if so, if faithfulness is costly, right? It is like genuine, tangible faithfulness is something that is costly then how do we see this in the life of Jesus? Where do we, where's an episode that we can go to that kind of shows us this faithfulness? And, I, and we see it here. And so one of the things that Mark is trying to do in this, this kind of um, retelling of the story of, of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's trying to lay before us a contrast, right? The contrast between a faithless group of people, the disciples, and the faithful one, And Jesus. And so I want to spend some time just kind of unpacking this contrast here. And so I want to start off with with just talking about the disciples who were a group of men who failed, who were faithless. And I know this is kind of sort of the bad news here, but, but this is what Mark wants us to do as we read this. He wants us to identify with the disciples. He wants us to be able to see our own faithlessness in times when it really costs. And I know that's really hard for us, because when we read the Bible, we, we have a tendency, and maybe, maybe you don't, but I have a tendency to kind of look at it as a third party, right? Just kind of look at, at above it, like I'm not anybody in there. And so we kind of have this sort of um, superiority, this self-righteousness that we have toward the disciples. And, and I just want to invite you to receive the indictment that Mark wants you to feel. We're much more like the disciples than what we want to care to, to own and believe so. This is, this is the end of kind of a, a very difficult week. This is getting ready to. Uh, Jesus is getting ready to be betrayed later that night. The cross is coming, and so before that, he's going in this garden to spend some time praying to his father. And he, and he leaves about you know they they got you know eleven of them now, so he leaves about eight of them sort of outside the gardens, kind of like in the in the gate there, and he takes three of them closer in. To Peter. James and John, some of his closest friends here on earth. And, and we know that, that they were kind of able to see their eyewitness of this because they were, they were able to see his brokenness. They were able to see kind of the, the way he prostrated himself, and they were able to hear, you know, what was going on because they recorded these words for us. And so we see there in verse 34 how Jesus expresses, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I'll, I'll come back to that here in just a few minutes. But he said to his disciples, these three men, look, stay here, Keep watch. So in essence, all he's saying, like, look, I, I need you to pray with me right now. I need you to, to stand with me. I need you to be here. I need you to be loyal. I need, I need you right now. I need you to stay up and keep watch and pray. And we know that even though Mark doesn't record this, that these men said yes to this. Right? They said, yes, we, we're there. And we know for a little while they were because they recorded the very first kind of phrase of what Jesus said in his prayer. But later on, we see in verse 37 that that didn't last very long. When he comes back, he says this, and Jesus returned to his disciples, and he he found them sleeping. And he refers Simon to his old name, because in this moment, Simon is acting out of his old identity, his old nature, not his new nature, new identity that Jesus gave to him. He said, Simon, he said to Peter, are are you asleep? Could Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And their response again, I would say here, even though Mark doesn't record this, is yeah, we're, we're with it. We're with you, Jesus. You know, We're just a little tired. We got a little cat nap, right? 10 minute power nap. We're ready to go, right? We're, we're with you. And so verse 40 he comes back a second time. And he says this, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And they didn't know what to say to him. I felt a lot of shame then. He comes back a third time in verse 41. And he said, returning a third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? The most difficult night in Jesus' life, his closest friends fail him. They they blow it. A time when Jesus needed them most they were faithless. So, you know, it, it isn't like, it isn't like the disciples, you know, said yes to Jesus, but in the back of their mind, they knew they were going to take a nap, right? It isn't like disciples said, oh, yeah, 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 we're with you, you know, but, you know, you've kind of been overreacting. You've been really emotional this week. Yeah, yeah, we're with you. You're kind of like, just go do your deal, you know, and they're going to take a nap. They, they, they didn't say that. Yeah, they're when they responded with the yes, there was a desire to be dependable. There was the desire to be faithful. There was the, the want to be the friend that Jesus needed in this time. But under excruciating pressure, these men failed. And so you're probably wondering, well, where do you see this excruciating pressure? Where do you, where do you see that this was a costly moment for the disciples? Well, if you'd read Luke's account of what is going on here. Luke says this in chapter 22, verse 45. He says that the disciples fell asleep because they were exhausted from sorrow. So what, what is going on in the world of the disciples, in their interior world, to where they, they feel this pressure and they crack, they fail? Well, you gotta remember, this is... Um, this is the week that Jesus is being, you know, leading up to. I mean, the disciples sort of got a clue what's happening here, but not fully. So this all begins on Sunday, on Palm Sunday. Jesus rolls into Jerusalem on a on a donkey, and the, and the, the people of the town were laying palm branches down and yelling. King Jesus, King Jesus, King Jesus. And there's a lot of stuff going on here that we didn't have, you know, we don't know for sure. Disciples are kind of clueless about. But in essence, what is going on here also is that Jesus is sort of kind of like forcing the hand of his enemies to say, look, you either crown me or kill me. You either call me king or you kill me. Sometimes we forget also that what happened this week is is when the temple was cleared. That's when Jesus came in and did a little smackdown in the temple garden, man. He was fired up, made a whip. I mean, anybody making a whip, right? He made the whip. He didn't like say whip and pop, there it is. He made that bad boy. So he was fired up. He was getting ready to clean the house here. This all happened in the same week. And in essence, he come in there and kind of attacks the sacrificial system. And for the disciples, as they're watching it, it almost feels like, man, you're picking a fight. Man, are you wanting to be killed? And then they're in their last meal, and there's some stuff going on there. He talks about a betrayer. They're not really sure who that is. How in the world can one of us betray? He tells Peter, hey, you're going to deny me three times, whatever. He talks about this death and is going on. And, the, and then all these men are going to eventually abandon him. Like, all of this is going on during this week. This is what's going on in their world. And they're going, man, I thought you were the one. Like, like, we put our hope in you, Jesus. We thought you were the one to come and rescue us from this oppression that we have with Rome. Man, we thought you are it. And all of a sudden, we're hearing these things about death and we're gonna abandon you. You're leaving us. And so there's confusion. There's a lot, like, maybe we are a bunch of fools. We've been duped into this. And then they rose into the garden and they see Jesus in such an emotional state that they've never seen him before. Like, they've never seen Jesus look like this. In essence, Jesus goes to these three men, his closest friends, to look, I need you. I need you to stay up. I need you to have my back. I need you to be a rock. And they failed him. They were faithless. King Solomon, thousands of years before this, wrote this in Proverbs. Look what he says. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man, who can find? Translation, many will profess faithfulness, but very few will demonstrate it. Like I, don't, I don't know about you, but it didn't take a long time for me to reflect on my life and say, man, I'm way more like the disciples than I care to even admit. I'm way more like the disciples than I want to even know about myself, right? There's ways that we've repressed our unfaithfulness because it makes us so depressed when we think about it, right? I mean, I, I know my boys were just being goofy we weren't just There wasn't any kind of ill intent here, but, you know, sometimes you're just reminded of how you kind of have all these ideas and great intentions, and you don't fall through with a lot of them, right? I remember telling my two oldest, this was about a couple years ago, I said, you know what we're going to do, guys? We're going to read a book together, all right? We're going to take a book, you know, we're going to try to read it over the course of a year, and this is what we're going to do, make this real tangible, you know, real easy, you know, we're going to read a chapter a month, all right? And when we read that chapter, we're going to get together. We're going to go have a good lunch, talk about the chapter. And then we're going to go to a movie, go do something kind of fun. All right? That's what we're going to do. We did it one time. (laughs) Oh, a couple of weeks ago, one of my boys said, hey, Dad, you remember that time when we were supposed to read a book together? Oh, man, that was such a failure. That was so funny, man. We did it one time. You remember that, Dad. I said, yeah, yeah, I do, I do. Thanks for reminding me, right? And that's not the only time, right? All of us in this room can remember times when we've had good intentions but pretty bad with follow-through. When we wanted to be there, but we weren't. You see, that's why I, we need someone who's faithful for us, right? I can't look to myself. I've got to have someone that's faithful on my behalf because I can't do it. And that's what we see here with Jesus, the faithful one, right? I think sometimes when we have a, and I've said this before, I think we have a tendency to sort of um overly kind of emphasize the, the, the deity of Jesus and underemphasize the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is the most unique being that's ever walked on the face of the earth because he inhabited two natures fully. Jesus was fully God and he was fully human. So everything that we experience as a human, Jesus, Jesus also experiences it because he's fully human. And when we have a tendency to think is we think that obedience and faithfulness is easy for Jesus, right? Maybe it's a little bit hard, but he's he's God, right? It's like, okay, come on, how hard really is temptation for Jesus? Yeah, whatever, right? Because we always just feel like the God cards at play there to sort of make it a little bit easier. Or, or maybe we think along the lines that, you know, he's just kind of like sort of, not in a bad way, but an actor who's playing his part. So I've got to be human, but in essence, it really isn't that difficult to be faithful and obedient to the Father's will. But when we look at the text, specifically the one we've laid out here, Mark is making it really clear, right that this wasn't easy, that this wasn't like, "Oh wow, you know, this was like uh, not that too bad. no, this was hard, this was difficult. Jesus had to fight to be faithful because he was fully human. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says he had to learn obedience because he was fully human. It was hard. And we, we see this in even the description of what Jesus looked like. Look what he says here in, in verse 33. He took Peter and John along with him and Jesus began. So yes, yes, Jesus had an understanding of where his life was headed. Yes, he got that he was born to die. He got that this is where everything was going. But now that it's for real, like it's right here, it's happening tonight. It's, it's like, it game's on. And the anxiety and the reality of that is really hitting Jesus like it's never hit before. So he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. The language that Mark is using here is the strongest way of showing anguish. It's the best way of him kind of expressing in words the kind of anguish and the difficulty Jesus is feeling here. Some people translate this as horror and dismay. That Jesus was horrified, horrified at the thought of what he's getting ready to face. He goes on and he expresses this in verse 34 to his closest friends there. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, so, so what is it? What is going on to where his soul is so overwhelmed here? What's, what's the temptation? What's the, the difficulty? What's the fight? So much so, guys, look, you've got you to gotta let your mind sit here a little bit. He wants out. Do you get that? He wants out. He doesn't want to obey what God wants him to do here. He is fighting this. He's saying, God, if there's another way, give me another way. If we can if we kind of skip over this, let's skip over this. Is there, is there kind of like a little eject button that I can push? Show it to me. This wasn't just one time. This was three times. God, this is what I want. I mean, this is what's going on in his interior world, and it's so bad that other writers say he begins to, to sweat blood. So what is it? What, what's, what's bringing this horror, this shock upon Jesus? Yeah, I mean, in part it is the suffering that he's getting ready to face has happened with the brutality of a crucifixion. Like he's not a stranger to that. So yes, that's that's on his radar. He gets that. But I think within this prayer, we see something that even trumps that. The first one is, is cup. So will you remove this this cup. What in the world is Jesus talking about when he's talking about cup? What's well, it's an Old Testament reference to the wrath of God. And I know that gets us all weird when we think about God being wrathful. Guys, you want a God who's just. You want a God who punishes sin and evil and wickedness. You do. And so when we talk about the wrath of God, it's not this father that's just blowing up. No, it's a righteous, loving father that's, that's justly punishing sin And so what Jesus is doing here is he's becoming sin for us. In the court of heaven, he is being charged with guilt, the guilt of all of humanity's sin. And so on the cross, Jesus is emptying. He's exhausting God's rightful wrath toward human sin. He's taken all of that upon himself. And when he does that, he knows that what's going to happen in that moment is that he's going to experience hell. And you know what hell is? Hell is being cut off from God. It's being separated from the Father. As we have, we have no idea what hell's like. We can make the language, oh, this has been one of those, one hell of a week this week, or man, it's hotter than hell out there. Look, we have no idea. Because the presence of God is still felt and experienced in our world. Any joy and goodness that you experience this week is because the presence of God is still here. When you experience hell, God's presence is gone. And Jesus is knowing that. When he calls out, when he he prays, what does he say? He says, Abba, Abba. It's an intimate Reference to father, it's like daddy in our language. It's like papa in our language, which shows us the kind of oneness and intimacy that was between God the father and God the son. And see, because we gotta, as best we got, we got to get our minds around this. And this is a relationship that does not have a beginning. It's always been there. And now for the first time, Jesus is being faced with the idea of being cut off separated, forsaken. I mean, we get this in part, don't we? A little bit, maybe not in full. But you think about the the love that you have for a friend or, or your spouse that you've known for years versus kind of the care and love you have for somebody that you might've met this week. And the pain of rejection that you would feel from someone that you've loved for years, a friend or a spouse, is infinitely greater than the pain of someone who rejects you that you just met this week. Are you following me? And try your best. Like, I I can't even fathom this. Try your best to think about a relationship that's been in existence for all of eternity. And now it's going to be cut off. Separation. And as Jesus begins to taste this, experience this, he is so overwhelmed that he's sweating blood. And how did Jesus respond under this kind of pressure? He was faithful. He was. Faithful. He was a rock. He was steadfast. He was loyal. I don't mean this in any kind of disrespect or anything like that, but it's almost like God was sort of rubbing it in his face of the unworthiness and faithlessness of the people that Jesus was going to die for. Right there in that moment. One older pastor puts it like this. The greatest act of faithfulness in the history of the universe happened when Jesus looked at these men falling asleep on him and could have said this. Why should I? Infinitely greater than all the angels of heaven and all the kings of the earth, take this burning agony into my heart and soul, cast myself into this eternal furnace for those who will never repay me or profit me one iota, who cannot even stay awake with me one hour in a time of my greatest need. Why should I give into unimaginable torment when they will not even give me a few minutes of their attention? But that's not what he said, was it? He said, My hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. He was faithful, he was steadfast. You see, the answer to the question that Solomon gives to us in Proverbs chapter 20 a faithful man. Can find that man has a name, and his name is Jesus. He is the faithful one, he is the one who is steadfast, he is the one that's like a rock on a beach where the waves crash and the waves crash and the waves crash, and then when they get away, it's still there. He's the one that's dependable, he's the one that's loyal. It is Jesus, he is is the faithful one. That's why Paul can tell his young protege, Timothy, later on, as he's getting ready to die, this truth. If we are faithless, why does he say that? Because he can recount in his own life how he has been faithless. That's why Paul can say that. This this superhero, that we would so to speak, of spirituality, we think, oh, he's never blown it. He's blown it. Just like all of us in this room, including me. If we are faithless. Guess what? He, Jesus Christ, remains faithful. Faithful. And there is no better place than these 10 verses do we see the faithfulness of Jesus an immense cost on him personally. This wasn't easy. This was a fight to be faithful. And the writer of Hebrews says he did it with joy, with the joy Set before him, he endured the cross. So you look to a passage of scripture like this, and you're going, okay, like, all right. Like, all right, what, what are you, what are you telling me, Lyle? What are you telling me to do with this? I mean, I, like, you can't tell me to go be like Jesus, right? Go, go model this kind of faithfulness, right? I mean, it's almost like, if you say that, Lyle, that just crushes me. Like, I, I can't do it. Like, I'm done. And 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 I would say then, thank God you've gotten to the place where God wants you. He wants you to get to a place where you're done with your self-reliance. He wants to get you to a place where he crushes you and says, you can't do this. Hey, okay, if you think you can, not go ahead. Get out here and try it because eventually you'll blow it. You need one who's been faithful on your behalf. That is paid for your faithlessness, that's been the case, of course, across all of our lives here. You need one that is your substitute. You don't just need a model. You need someone to take your place. And that's what Jesus has done for us. And so when we receive the faithful one, the Spirit of God is placed in our lives and we have the fruit of the Spirit. All of it. All of it. it is, if you're in Christ, it's all there. And this kind of faithfulness is possible for you because you are in Christ and the Spirit of God dwells in you. And the work of this big word called sanctification, which is just basically maturity, is this, is he's taking what is true about you and working it out. So what is real about you if you're in Christ is you are faithful. You are faithful because Jesus is faithful. We see it on display here, and you are in Christ, and his spirit dwells in your life. That is the true you, even though Satan and all of his hellish crew is going to tell you differently. That is a true you. You are faithful. Now look, that means there is some intentionality on our part. It isn't like, We just passively receive this, so to speak. No, the Spirit empowers us. There's an intentionality on our part to where this fruit of faithfulness comes out and we experience it and other people around us experience it. And I'll give you two. What does that look like? Well, here's two. The first one is this, and I've said it every time I've preached here and you probably think I'm a broken record and I don't give a rip, but here it is, right? You have to reflect upon Jesus. You have to. This doesn't happen by some kind of weird osmosis or what? No, no, It's when you think upon the one who is faithful, that then the fruit of faithfulness comes out. It's when you reflect and think about the one who is good, that goodness begins to come out. When you think and reflect upon the one who is love, Jesus, then love begins to come out in your life. As you think and reflect upon the one who is patient, then patience comes out in your life. Like, because there's no rocket science here. There's no crazy theological degree that you've got to have here. It's sitting down with an episode like this and saying, okay, and God, help me to see the beauty of Jesus in this passage of Scripture. And you read it. And then you maybe read it again. And then you pray, God, I want this fruit to be more evident in me. And then you go throughout your day being sensitive to the Spirit and what He does there. You get up the next morning. Guess what? You can read the same one. God's not ticked off. He's not like, oh, come on. We're supposed to get through the Bible in a year. If you stay here, you'll never get there. And there's a little mark. I got it up here. I'll give you a bad day. Come on. No, God's not. It's crazy to some of the stuff we got in our heads. No. Bring it before the Lord. And some days you you do it and you go like, I don't get anything. It's okay. It's okay. But I am convinced of this, and I don't know how this fully all works. I think there's a mystery to some extent in all this, but it is the means by which the Holy Spirit uses. As you reflect and think on Jesus, his faithfulness, the Holy Spirit does something in us to where he begins to shape the very core of our being to where we become faithful. So it starts there, reflect. And then... I would say it leads to this, all right? So, so if the action of goodness is generosity, that's last week, all right? So if the action of goodness is generosity, where, where we're generous with our kindness, we're generous with our compassion, we're generous with our, with our patience and our love, that's the action of, 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 of goodness. I would say that then, therefore, the action of faithfulness is obedience. Obedience. That over the course of our lives, not episodes, right? Yeah, we're going to fail, blow it, do. No, but over the course of our lives, we have been obedient to God. And then therefore we are seen as faithful men and women. The action of faithfulness is obedience to where we get to a place that what characterizes our life is that little simple line that Jesus says, not my will, not my will. And that doesn't mean that we've got to, I don't know, maybe you're not as jacked up as I am, but that doesn't mean that when we have a tendency or I have a tendency to always kind of like, well, I shouldn't say this, right? Or I shouldn't believe this. I know I shouldn't think this. I know I shouldn't feel this. And I'm going, why? Why do we have to kind of sort of, you know, like, uh, you know, edit what we're saying to the Lord? Like, like where's that coming from? I don't think that's a true expression of what we see in the gospel that when I truly understand the gospel that I am now his freely by grace alone that it doesn't cause me to censor what I say I'm censoring what I say because I'm building my relationship upon my performance but Jesus comes and what does he do? I don't want to do this that's not censoring is there another way? I'm really struggling. God help me. So it's it's coming to God and honestly getting to where, yeah, this is what I want. Here's my will. Here's my difficulty. Here's my struggle. But where we want to be is that, okay, God, not my will, but your will, because over the course of our lives, we have seen that the best life to live is under the submission and obedience to the Lord, that What is good and delightful is to be obedient to him, that what he wants is ultimately what I want. So the action of faithfulness is obedience. This week I I came across an interview that a guy named Louis Giglio did with, um, with Dr. Charles Stanley. So some of you may know who Louis Giglio is. It's not a great picture, but this is the, the picture of the interview that happened back sometime the first part of June. Louis's uh, uh, like I know him, Louis Giglio, I'm calling him first name, is, <laughs> is a guy who started something called the Passion Movement, started about 20 years ago, with, which had its aim to reach uh, kind of 18 to 20-somethings and just, you know, blow their mind up and their heart up to the glory of Jesus Christ and what it looks like to live under that kind of uh, vision for life. And um, some of you have been really impacted by him. I've personally, directly, and indirectly been impacted by Louie and his teachings and all that kind of stuff. And and in the middle there is Dr. Charles Stanley, who's a pastor at First Baptist Church in Atlanta, and he's been there for a little over 40 years, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. And next to him is Andy Stanley, which is the lead pastor for North Point Community Church. And Louie and Andy grew up in his dad's church. And so the the first time that Louie and Andy were really good friends, the first time they met each other was the summer of their sixth grade year, and they met each other underneath a bunk bed because they were in a cabin full of seniors and they were freaking out. They were scared for their life. Like literally, it's a, it's a story you should listen to. It's quite humorous. And so both those guys, Louie and Andy, have had enormous impact on a lot of people, probably a lot of people even in this room. But the interview was with Dr. Charles Stanley. And what I, what I found is, it's, it's an hour long. You can do a Google search and find I encourage you to listen to. What I found as I was listening to this interview is that I found myself listening to Dr. Stanley uh, differently than I ever have before. And and I don't, I mean, this is more of an indictment on me than it is necessarily on him, but it was just more like his words had so much weight to me. And some of that has to do with here's a man in his 80s who's been pastoring this church for 40 plus years. And he tells a little bit of the stories and I've heard these before when he first came to this church 40 plus years ago. It was a church that was running about 3,000 at the time. And it was a church that really didn't believe in the word of God. Like they looked at the word of God as like, okay, there's some here that's true, some that's sort of like made up. And so some parts we need to obey and some parts it doesn't really matter what we do with. And so Dr. Stanley comes in this church and said, well, well no, I got a whole different vision here. The word of God is the word of God. The entire book is the word of God. And we're gonna be a church that submits our lives to the word of God. I'm going to bring the word of God to bear to you every single Sunday. Well, as you can probably tell, that didn't go really well for a lot of people, especially some of the leadership in the church. And so, man, he tells about like members meetings where they tried to vote him out. Uh, He tells about a members meeting one time when a deacon actually got up and punched him in the face. And he wouldn't even let his son Andy go into the members meetings because they were so awful in the way they were just sort of dehumanizing in some way, Dr. Charles Stanley but he stayed. There was a massive church split. It went from 3,000 to 300 overnight. But he stayed. He remained. It doesn't mean he was some perfect man. I know that a lot of hiccups in his life. His marriage didn't work out really well. It actually had a fallout between him and his son, Andy, for a number of years. By God's grace, it's been restored. But there is... At the chorus, you know, like if you look at the whole of his life, I'm just amazed and kind of like blown away by the faithfulness of this man in his 80s, pastoring the same church for 40 plus years. He stayed, he remained, he was steadfast and it was costly. Here's a couple of his quotes that you can find sprinkled through his sermons and some of his books. He says this, too many Christians have a commitment of convenience. And I'd be the first one to raise my hand. They'll stay faithful as long as it's safe and doesn't involve risk, rejection, or criticism. Instead of standing alone in the face of challenge or temptation, they check to see which way their friends are going. Another one that he's famous of saying is this, obey God and leave the consequences to God. Obey God and leave the results to God. You know, if there's one word that I would love to kind of characterize and sum up my life, it would be this word, faithful. I want to be a faithful husband. I want to be a faithful dad. I want to be a faithful pastor. And I'm in my late 40s. I told the early service I'm in my mid 40s, and that's kind of a lie. I'm actually in my late 40s. I'm, I'm trying to stay somewhere, and I think I am. And honestly, I got, I got a long road still ahead. But I I pray that the Spirit of God that dwells in me and the fruit of the Spirit that is in me that He would continue to cultivate this fruit of faithfulness in me. Look, I know it's costly. I've experienced that. And I know that remaining faithful means, all right, this is the road. This is where you're headed. But I do, I pray that that's what my wife, my kids, people that have known me won't say, oh, I mean, he was a good preacher. Oh, he's a really nice guy. No, I hope they'll say, no, he was, he was a faithful man. So what about you? What do you want? What's the one word that you want to kind of sum the whole of your life? Not episodes, right? We all, we all got episodes where we blow it. Right? Well, when someone looks at the whole of your life, what do you want them to say? Look, you can't be this man or woman without first receiving Jesus. And then as the Spirit of Christ comes in you, then you're in a lifelong journey of reflecting and thinking about Jesus and how He's been faithful. And then there's going to be opportunities that the Spirit of God lays before you to where you're going to have to obey. And there's going to be times when it's going to be just like Jesus. I don't want this. But your Spirit empowers me to obey and leave the results, the consequences to him. Let's pray.